Is that your new apartment, Anthony? Yeah, that's the one. Very nice. It looks very industrial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's functional, so... <laughs> functional. California. Everything's a square, a, a blank square, concrete room. That's funny, you like my girlfriend. Facundo, welcome to FS Jam Podcast. Thank you very much, Lennon, for being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, we would love to hear your background and where you work and what projects you're doing. I live in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I've studied at the university. I'm a systems engineer. I've been working for almost 15 years as a developer, web developer, desktop applications, different stacks, different technologies. But in the last probably year or two years, I start to be interested in generating content and sharing content with the community. Based on that, I started to use my free time to create content and to share content. These last two months, I've been working as a developer relations engineer at Storyblock, and it's my first not developer position, not developer job, let's say. So it's kind of a challenge because the things that I was doing these last couple of years in my free time now are the things that I do in my, let's say, work uh, daily job or in my work time. It's kind of super cool, this experiencing this this new challenge. Yeah, I think it's interesting you call it developer relations engineering. This is a, a slight tweak on what Jason Langsdorf was talking about, where they specifically don't say developer advocacy at Netlify. They say developer experience engineer. So developer relations engineer is one that I don't hear quite as much. Do you think of like these different roles as being fluid or hard divisions? And do you define yourself in opposition to some of them? Or is it just like all one big bucket to you? Yeah, probably I would say, again, I've been working as a developer for a lot of time. This is all kind of new for me. So probably a person that was working for several years in uh, similar positions can notice more real difference between a developer relations engineer, a developer advocate, or a developer experience engineer, let's say. I'm starting to learn about them. I think the developer relations engineer is more related to being the link between the developers and the product or the company and trying to offer the point of view of the developer on how to use the services, how to use the products, how to create projects using the different products and the different tools. The difference that I see, which I don't say that it is the difference or the real difference, but the difference with developer experience engineer that I see, or at least that we have in Storyblock, the company that I work at, is that the developer experience is working more on integrations with other platforms in tools that will be used by the developers. And probably my work is to use those integrations or create content related to those integrations, to create tutorials, to give talks at events and conferences. So I would say that probably the developer relations is more about generating the content and the developer experience is more about creating the tools that will be used by the developers and by other people to get advantage of the products and, and, and the services. Yeah, that's a good breakdown. And I usually separate it similarly in my head. There's like working on the product, there's creating content to explain the product, and there's like interfacing with people using the product. And so it's like whatever kind of terms you want to put on like those kind of different categorizations. I do I do see that a lot. And I think it's because it's such a huge job to do all of those things. And 
requires like various skill sets. So it doesn't really make any sense to try and bundle all of that into like a single job. So I think that's why we see a bit of this like fractionation of slightly different roles with different emphases and different titles, but all circling around similar ideas and, and ways of working and engaging with community. But it's, it's really cool. Like we've had tons and tons of people who do this kind of work on the podcast and I do this kind of work, I would say. And it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing and I, people are hearing about it a lot more. I'd like to get into Storyblock itself because we haven't talked about this on the podcast, I think, at all. But it's a project that I've heard about for a while. I know it's very well known, so I love to get like the kind of one hundred and one, and then your history with it and how you got involved with it. As a developer, during these last years, I was working mostly on the backend. I started to use my free time to learn about other technologies or other approaches that I didn't use at my daily job, and I started to read and to learn about the Jamstack. And I found that as a super interesting approach and a super cool idea because I've been developing for a lot of years. Probably my first approaches to development were creating static websites just for fun or for friends. Or I don't know, I had a group of friends and I created the, our website with pictures, with music and etc. And to do that, I used tools like Dreamweaver, probably the Microsoft front page. Probably the people that is listening to the podcast don't know what I'm talking about because they are really old tools that didn't survive. But the idea was that you created static web pages because those were the web pages that we were able to create at that moment. I mean, we didn't have JavaScript frameworks or probably static site generators. They didn't exist at that moment. So the way to create a static website was using front page or coding the, directly the, the HTML code and the JavaScript code and the CSS code. What's funny is that JavaScript was not as advanced as it is today. I mean, we didn't have the features that we have today in JavaScript. So you weren't capable of doing the things that we are able to do today with JavaScript at that moment. Reading and learning about the Jamstack made me remind of that time. And, and, and I felt really interested on the idea of the comeback of the static pages, let's say, or, or the static web pages. So I started to learn about the Jamstack, to play with the Jamstack, to talk about the Jamstack on different events. I presented talks in different conferences, local meetups, in English, in Spanish, my native language. Me getting into deep of the Jamstack and seeing the workflow and seeing the different tools and services that we have available there. One of the cool ideas or cool concepts that I found is the idea of the headless CMS. I already knew tools like WordPress or Drupal that I think are super helpful to create websites and pages for people that probably is not super familiar with developer concepts. Or probably they are, but the idea is to make the job easier for the content editors and the content creators. The concept of headless CMS that you are making the job easy for the content editor, but also the developer has the possibility of using the technologies that they want to develop a web application or a website and offer the best experience to the user is something that I was really interested in. Reading about that and playing with different, let's say, alternatives of headless CMSs and products, I came up with Storyblock, a product that I've used in the past for side projects, for personal projects. This was like a mix. In the last year, I started to feel like I was enjoying more the task of creating content and sharing content with the community, probably more than my daily work of developing eight hours a day, getting that related to the idea of developer relations, developer 
advocacy, developer experience, those were terms that started to appear more frequently to me when I was getting into deep with people that talks about the Jamstack or, or that share content in the different social networks and etc. I started to read about what developer relations is. I started to read about what are the tasks that developer relation engineers do. Knowing that position or probably knowing that those kind of positions exist in the companies and me enjoying generating content and me enjoying playing with the Jamstack and reading about the Jamstack and me enjoying creating projects following the Jamstack approach and knowing what the hell the CMS is. When I saw that Storylog was looking for a developer relations engineer, I'd say, okay, let's try it. And that's it. I mean, I started with the interviews and I got the position and now I changed the path of my career from being a developer with almost 15 years of experience to generating content and sharing that with the community is something that I really enjoy doing. So, and again, what is cool is that I'm doing that about something that I really enjoy doing, that I'm interested in with a tool that I really like, or I think that it's a good product. I'm talking about a product that I use and I think it's a good product. So I think that's a plus because if you are going to talk about a certain product or a certain service to the developers or to the community, you have to be convinced that what you are saying it's true. I mean, you, you won't talk good about something that you don't think it's good. That was like an opportunity that appeared there. This is my second month. I started on June 1st working at Storyblock and a whole new experience, a fully remote company. The, the company was based in Austria, let's say, but the team members are all around the world. And there's no central office. They don't have an office. So the, the company is fully remote. And that's another big and new experience for me, working for a company that doesn't have any physical office, let's say. So working in a in an asynchronous way, the communication between the team, it's a good challenge. I'm experiencing a, a good challenge and I am joining it. Before we get into Storyblog, I think it's worth talking about what is the purpose of Storyblog. We've already said it's a CMS. I will hold up my hands and say I've never used it. But quickly looking at the website and the documentation, it seems to have one really big key feature that I've seen that CMSs like Graph CMS and Contentful struggle with to a certain extent is that your website, the data that you're trying to put in is already within a window and you can see it in the website straight away. To give context to our listeners is I've been building a new website for Everfund. So a new marketing website. It has took me weeks upon weeks and we're finally on the final stages with everything in a CMS where my co-founder and other staff members can edit the content without needing me to change anything, build new pages without me needing to code anything. And that system's completely built from the ground up in something like Graph CMS. The hardest part of it is teaching them, okay, as a concept as grids, as a developer, we know grids exist. But then to say, okay, if you want a two column layout, so an image on the left, paragraph on the right, standard marketing tool on any marketing website, okay, you need to create a grid, you need two columns, each column needs to be spanned by one, then you need to write your text on the left grid. 
And then you're right, Grid needs to be a media block. It's so, so much work just to try and organize and create and to get the, the CMS side down to the point to allow somebody to then maintain that website, add new content, add new pages without the developer needing to do any more work. It seems like Storyblock helps you do that a lot easier than the way I've done it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I think that probably the key feature of Storyblock is the real-time visual editor that the tool has. When you create your account on Storyblock site and you start using the, the application, you can create spaces like, let's say, one space is related to one project that you are going to create. It can be, I don't know, a web application or probably a mobile application. I mean, that's one of the cool features of all the headless CMSs that you can create the content in the backend and you can consume it from everywhere. So you can create, let's say, multi-channel experiences that you can reuse that information from a mobile application, a web application, and etc. But if you are working in a web application, the cool part of Storyblock is that you can link an instance of that web application to the backend that the content editors are going to use to create the content. And you will offer them a visual experience of how the content is going to look like while they are creating the content. So if you're a content editor, you can go to Storyblock application and see, I don't know, the home page of your web application. Or if you have, let's say, a blog site, you can go and create a blog post right from Storyblock page and seeing how the blog post is going to look like without having to deploy anything, without having to need the work from a developer or anything. You being the content creator, you go to Storyblock and you can start editing visually how the page is going to look like. So for instance, you have a paragraph, you can edit the text directly from Storyblock. You can add different components to your pages. You can edit the components. You can upload images, edit the images, even apply filters to the images. And you are seeing how the page is going to look like while you are editing without having to deploy anything, without having to edit the production version, without even having to, to create draft stories or draft data of what you are creating. I mean, that's not needed. You can link Storyblock application which is the backend to your application and the content editor can create the content and the developer doesn't need to do anything to show how it's going to look like it's like a real-time experience and you as a content creator you feel like you are creating and seeing the page that is going to be live in your site in the future and this is such an interesting area with cms's a lot of these headless cms's have kind of skipped the gun where they've gone so far into the benefits of like headless, consumable anywhere, that you forgot about the poor soul who actually needs to write the content later on, no longer after the developer. This sounds like the most controversial thing that I would say. I've recently had to boot up WordPress for the first time in years and years. I got a handle on their brand new, well, I'm sure it's not new anymore, the Gutenberg editor built in React. It was honestly really good. For someone who has jaded opinions of WordPress, left it for some years, then came back and used this like WYSIWYG editor, it felt so refreshing going to that from a headless CMS where it kind of is blind to a certain extent. You're writing all your stuff in this glorified form. While amazing, it's headless that can be consumed anywhere. 
sometimes you just wish you could just see what you're typing as it is being typed. Storyblock seems like it hits that out of the park. We've talked about the editor. We've talked about its uses. How does the developer use this? Can they still use Next or Gatsby or Vue? Can they still use all the tools like Tailwind that they want? Are you hosting that code now? Or is the developer still hosting on something like Vercel or Netlify? From Storyblock side, the only thing that Storyblock is hosting is the content that you create. And the content is exposed using a REST API or a GraphQL API that you can consume from there. The application itself is all developed by the developers and maintained by the developers on the server that they want. For instance, what I was saying before that you link the Storyblock application where you create the content to your application so the content editors can see how the content will look like. It is really linking to where your application lives. So you can point Storyblock to a testing environment of your application or even a local environment. I mean, you can link Storyblock to your local host and the port 3000 and you can see how the site is going to look like. Storyblock doesn't host your application. It saves and stores all the information and delivers it using the different API. What is cool about Storyblock 2 is that we have different SDKs that you can use for different languages and different frameworks. Let's say Nux, Next, Angular, Gatsby. I was also scrolling through the, the front page like Chris and there was a, a strip of them where it had React, Gatsby, Next, Vue, Gridsome, Nuxt, Svelte, and Laravel. And they're all kind of like mixed up. So I saw that as like them saying, we're framework agnostic in case you were wondering. I think that's really cool. Exactly. <laughs> the first article that I wrote on Storyblock site when I entered to a company was a tutorial about how to use a Storyblock with your ASP.NET application. I have a really strong background of using ASP.NET and Microsoft technologies when I was a backend developer. I wrote this article, which is very cool because you get the same advantages of using Storyblock and seeing live the, the content that you are creating as an editor with applications created with ASP.NET that are server-side rendering. I mean, that's not necessary that you have to use a front-end framework the JavaScript framework or a static site generator. You can use it with PHP, with Ruby. There are different SDKs that you can use. And if you don't want to use the SDK that are available, you can consume the content as any other REST API or GraphQL API using your method. Can we talk about what a block is? Because I don't think we've actually defined that yet. And that's like a specific term within StoryBlock. Yeah, that's true. The name comes from Story and Block. Let's say story, we can relate that to a page, but not necessary because as we said, the headless CMSs can create content for any channel. But let's say a story would be the structure to create a post detail page, the home page, the about page. The, I don't know if you are creating an e-commerce platform, your product page would be a story. And then we have the blocks which are the components that are inside that story. And the difference is the blocks are components that are nestable. So you can have components that have components inside of them and et cetera, and et cetera, and create all the hierarchical structure of components inside your story. We can say that the main structure or the main part of how the content is organized in Storyblock is the story. You will have stories. And then those stories will have components, which are blocks inside of them. 
But again, the page is the easiest example, but you can have stories for, I don't know, the author of your blog post in your blog site. So if you want to create different blog posts and when you want to link those posts to authors, you can select them from different stories that you have created in the same space. Are there any other important concepts or like things you need to kind of like explain for people to kind of get Storyblock? Probably the, the visual editor is the key feature of Storyblock. What is cool about the visual editor is that, for instance, I use Next.js. I'm working on, with Next.js right now. I, I'm really a big fan of the framework and I enjoy using it. But you can use Next.js or React to create your components in your code, in your application. And you can define the style of those components using the CSS that you want, using Tailwind CSS, for instance, or etc. Using the SDK that Storyblock offers, what you can do is create the representation of the blocks or components that you have in your space in Storyblock create the visual representation of them using React. So for instance, what you can do is define stories that have dynamic content. Probably you can create a story structure that says, this is going to be a page, and I don't know at this moment which kind of components are going to be in this story. And that's okay. Storyblock supports that. You can have dynamic stories with dynamic components in them. The cool part is that using the, the SDK from Storyblock in your React application, for instance, but it can be in any programming language and any framework because we have SDK for all of them, you can create a dynamic component in your application and you can say, okay, as I have the story of type page in my space in Storyblock, I will create the component page in my application and I will define this style for this page. And I will say that this page in my application has dynamic components inside of it. You can then create other types of component, define types like image or paragraph or text or headline or teaser. And for each one of those components, you can create the visual representation of them saying, okay, for the teaser, for instance, I'm going to use the property name here, the property title in this other part. I will create this span with this style here. And having all those visual representations, when you are using the visual editor in the site, the content editor can select any component and add them to the stories. And the application itself will add the dynamic components, so will add the visual representation of them. So you can really create any kind of page from the visual editor using all the visual representations that you created in your application with the styles that the developer define. So if I'm a content editor and I need to create an about page, let's say, and I didn't have an about page before, but I say that, okay, this about page is going to be a story of type page. As the content is dynamic, I can start adding blocks in that about page and say, okay, I'm adding a paragraph here, a teaser here, an image here with this background, with this text, with this padding and etc. And you are linking that to the visual representation that you have in your code. So I think that this is pretty cool. Again, this is something that you can define and, and that it's available. If you want your content editors not to have that dynamism or that independence of creating whatever they want, you can always restrict and say, okay, no, this story will allow only this type of components, 
this type of fields. You can be as flexible as you want or as strict as you want. What projects do you think are similar to Storyblock? Like, I feel like most people, when they work on anything, there's always like another thing that like people will always compare it to. So when you explain Storyblock to people, are they like, oh, it's kind of like this other thing? How do people compare it to other things that they know? I imagine that the first comparison is with other headless CMSs. There are a lot of alternatives in the market, a lot of great products that I've used in the past. I really like to. One product that I've used in the past, and, and I think that this very similar concept, let's say, is Stackbit. I don't know if you have heard about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stackbit is a platform that allows you to select the framework that you want to use for your page or your website, the headless CMS that you want to use as a backend of your application. And then you have a lot of templates that are available to create your website. You want to create a personal site, you have a template. You want to create a blog, you have a template. You want to create, I don't know, a landing page, you have a template. And you select those options when you are creating your project in Stackbit. And selecting that, you enter into a visual editor where you can start editing the page right there inside a stack bit and define how your website is going to look like. It's kind of similar. Yeah, so I have used Stackbit. That makes a lot of sense. And now I'm thinking of Tina CMS. I think it's another one that was kind of like this where it was like instantly you just interact with the page and start editing it kind of thing. Mm, I didn't use uh, Tina CMS, but I will have to take a look. They ended up becoming kind of like the CMS of choice for like Gatsby, even though they developed kind of separately, they ended up integrating fairly heavily, I think. But this was like a year or two ago, so I haven't kept up with it since. It's true that also there are like technologies that are very related to some products. For instance, I, I don't know, Storyblock has SDK for different technologies and, and different programming languages. But I, I see that many of the projects that are using Storyblock are made with Vue.js or Next because the developers from Storyblock, I mean, the team members work with Vue.js. The front end of Storyblock is done with Vue.js. And there's a lot of collaboration between Storyblock and the Next community, the Vue.js community. A lot of Vue.js contributors or Next contributors are also in contact with Storyblock. They are Storyblock users. There are several people in the social networks that share content related to uh, Next that they also use Storyblock. In fact, Storyblock has its own ambassador program that we are trying to relaunch and to improve, but we have Storyblock ambassadors. Some of these ambassadors are probably well-known people from the community. Alba Silvente, uh, she's working and, and she's speaking in different events and conferences about Next and how to use Next with Storyblog or Dev, Dev O'Brien that uh, was in a previous episode of this podcast. She was a Next ambassador, I think, or a Next developer advocate. Well, she was on the Next team, like fully Next. Exactly, exactly. She did a, a stream using Storyblog with Samuel, which is uh, the heads of the developer relations team at Storyblog. Again, it's like a lot of collaboration between Next and Mew with Storyblog. But again, I mean, I use Next.js and, and I create projects using Next.js and Storyblog. And we have different SDKs and different alternatives for the programming languages to use Storyblog. I looked on your personal website, you have your own blog on there, and one article really stood out to me, you probably know which one it's going to be, it was your latest article that said, converting from jQuery to Next.js, 
my main question is what spurred you to make that article? Because they're very different things. Uh, to me, it seems more like from jQuery to JavaScript now, not just necessarily a framework. I'm just really interested to hear your opinions why you made that piece. It did get republished on Smashing Magazine, was it? Well, that's very funny because the article itself is on Smashing Magazine site because this was like uh, an idea that came out from uh, Smashing Magazine team because I wrote an article in the past about how to add security to a Next.js application using Auth0. They came up with this idea that they were looking for uh, more Next.js articles. And the original idea was to create an article about how to migrate a legacy application to a Next.js application. Having in mind a legacy application, everything is cool and you can use the tools that, that you want or that fits better for you. But having in mind the concept of legacy application about using a traditional CMS, like for instance, WordPress, let's say. With the processing of the idea and start writing that, some of the ideas came up in mind, like what's one of the concepts that WordPress has or that shares with a lot of other uh, sites that probably are not using WordPress. Let's say jQuery, for instance. jQuery is a library that was created a long time ago. Many of the benefits or features that jQuery offered at that time are now part of the native vanilla JavaScript. I mean, I mean something that probably you weren't able to do using JavaScript in the past, you can do it now and you don't need a library like jQuery. But besides that, the original idea was to create an article about how to migrate a legacy application to Next.js. So we have some exchange of messages uh, with the Smashing Magazine team. My idea was to think the migration not to Next.js, but probably to React because jQuery is more like a front-end framework, let's say. It's not a framework, but it's more like a front-end tool that you can use to improve your user interface and your user experience. But Next.js is a more complex concept, let's say. I mean, when you are using Next.js, you are organizing or creating an application following a different approach and a different paradigm, let's say. The article was like a mix of these ideas on how to migrate a legacy code application to a newer one using a library like Next.js, but also how to stop using jQuery features that you can use with vanilla JavaScript and you don't need a library to do that and how to migrate the concept of your application to a component-based application using React components, in fact. If you read the, the title of the article, it's kind of catchy because you say, I mean, migrating a jQuery application to Next.js, you say, mm, but these are different things. But if you go to the article, it's kind of a long article, you will see that in the article, I mean, in the body of the article, we are talking about different migration strategies. We are talking about how to migrate your, your application without breaking your current production stage, how to componentize your functionality, and after all, how to get advantage of some features that Next.js offer, like static site generation, server-side generation, and etc. So it's not like a migration from jQuery to Next.js, but it's more like talking about how to componentize your, your existing legacy application in case that you are wondering about doing that. I think a lot of us tend to forget that, you know, there's still so many websites out there that run jQuery. I bet if you looked at a typical place like Theme Forest, 80% of WordPress themes are still jQuery. And then 
sometimes you think, okay, we want to move away from jQuery, but then how would I write a WordPress theme in React? Sometimes you think, how do you put them two things together? You know, how do you pull the past out from the future? It just seems sometimes like this bygone era, if you know what I mean. It's like that with so many things. Sometimes we see it even on the back end. If you get so used to using GraphQL, you're like, how do I even do a REST call? What is a REST call? The rate technology moves is so, so crazy. It's okay, probably depending on your use case. WordPress is a cool solution. I mean, I mean, or traditional CMSs. I mean, there's a, no issue with, with WordPress particularly. What I'm trying to say is that one of the things that I think headless CMSs have the advantage is that you are not tied to use any technology for the front end of your application. So you can use whatever you want or whatever it fits better for you. I think that with the evolution or the, or the change of the website and how the websites are done, we forgot I think important things like the user experience, the cost of maintaining our applications, how fast our sites, how easy it is for us to maintain our websites or to manage them or to edit them. And that's one cool thing that you can have with the headless CMS because you are not tied to use any technology in the front. If you have new frameworks or new technologies or new services like the serverless functions, for instance, and you can get advantage of that to get a better developer experience, but also get a better user experience, probably thinking about the migration to get advantage of that, it's a good idea. Again, there's no problem with the traditional CMSs and depending on the use case, probably it's a good choice if you want to create a small project or if you are familiar with PHP or something like that. But if it's not the best solution for your use case, probably thinking about headless CMS or, or a migration to a framework like React or Vue or etc., it's a good idea to have in mind and to try to investigate more. Winding down here, I think you've already touched on some of these things. I'd be curious what you think is coming up in the Jamstack, you know, in the future, what are some things people should be looking out for? What do you think is going to be things are going to keep pushing the movement forward? One of the challenges that the Jamstack has to face is how to create dynamic experiences or great user experiences not tied to static sites or how to make static sites a good experience for the user. That is one of the challenges that I think that the Jamstack has to face. And on the other hand, the developer experience of creating static sites. Nowadays, if you want to create a static website using a static site generator, you have to execute an atomic deployment and generate all the static pages ahead of time that you want to expose and etc. And I think that there are some frameworks and some platforms that are investigating or trying to walk around that situation. For instance, Next.js is offering the incremental static regeneration. And Netlify, I don't remember exactly the name, but it's offering distributed persistent rendering, DPR. Exactly. They are offering like a very similar approach, but without breaking the atomic deployment concept. What I think that the Jamstack is going to move to is how to improve the way of creating your website. We all agree that a static web page is the fastest and the better experience that we can offer to the user. Okay. Now the question is how we can do that easier to maintain for the developers, how we can do that in a faster way of generation or without needing to execute a process that takes minutes to generate the pages. So we can do that probably 
more frequently or we can have automatic process that can build websites and generate static assets faster, I think that the Jamstack is going to move to that area, let's say. On the other hand, one of the things that probably is mutating or the Jamstack is mutating is this new concept of the full stack frameworks that are appearing like Redwood.js or Blix.js or these experiences that probably they are not, how to say, strictly Jamstack. I like that you call us a mutation. Uh, yes, yes, because they are like starting from the concept of the Jamstack, but they are moving to a full stack approach. So I think that's a cool uh, idea and a cool concept. At the end, the idea is to offer a great user experience, but also thinking about what's best for the developer. Not having to reinvent the wheel or, or having a, a, an easier way of maintaining your application. I think that those are ideas that you are thinking on the person that is creating the product. That's great because the frameworks or the tools that are more used in the market are the ones that the developers feel more comfortable with. So if you are offering a great developer experience, probably your product is going to be more used, even if, I don't know, the page takes three milliseconds more to load than using another framework. So I think that probably creating experiences like Redwood.js or Blick.js, they are offering to the developers tools to create great experiences and making the job easier using tools that are really cool for the developer. That's cool. Well, thank you for coming onto our podcast and making a pitch for us. Yeah, <laughs> no. Appreciate you supporting the ideas of Full Stack Jamstack. It's, it's cool as we've continued to do this and grow this, that people who were totally outside of the Redwood world are like, yeah, I get that. This makes sense. I think this is cool. So it's been really awesome having you on the show and getting your perspective on all this stuff and getting to talk about your projects. Can we get just your contacts, like where you are on the internet and then where people should go to find Storyblock stuff as well? My personal site is fjuliani.com, F from my first name and my complete last name.com. I'm on Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I'm Facundo Surdo with Seth. If you want to talk about Storyblog, I think that you can go to my personal site or Twitter. We can talk about that. If not, you can go to the homepage of Storyblog, which is Storyblog, not CK, only the K, storyblog.com. Thank you very much for this opportunity of joining the podcast. I'm a listener of the podcast, so uh, be speaking at a show that I enjoy uh, listening to is it's a great experience. So thank you very much. It's an honor being here. Thank you. Just so the listeners know, it's definitely not the company that makes that framework where you can preview your components. It's something completely different. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's a headless CMS with a visual experience, framework agnostic, language agnostic. <laughs> now that you say it's not storybook, was that what you were saying? Yeah, it's not storybook. <laughs> it's very similar. That must confuse a lot of people. Yeah, there's similar names. It's, it's so frustrating. <laughs> That's why I said that it's only the K without the C and the K and it's a block. Someone should make a um, a hackathon thing where they put companies with all their ideals and they fight each company. And you should put story block versus story book and see which one comes out on top, gladiator style. We should arrange something like that. <laughs> Thank you.
put them two things together? How do you put them two things together? How do you put them two things together? How do you 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 put them two things together?